Hello, hello, hello. Welcome everyone to episode 125 of the No Normal Show for October 14th, 2021, brought to you by Revive. This is where we leave all things status quo, traditional, old school, boring, all of that. We leave it in the dust and we celebrate the new, the powerful, the innovative, the future, all related to how brands can lead the way in health. I am your co-host, Chris Bevelo, Chief Brand Officer at Revive. I'm joined by co-host Stephanie Weirwell, who is SVP of Integrated Marketing at Revive. Hello again, Stephanie. Hey, Chris. Good to see you again, and good to see Chase Kleckner, who's also our co-host and our show's producer, Senior Marketing Manager at Revive, Chase Kleckner. Hello, Chase. Hey, how we doing? We're doing great. We've got, as always, some fun stuff to cover, starting with Wes Anderson. We got to we got to get this out of the way. Gave you guys some homework. You had shockingly, both of you, never seen a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> now you have, or at least partially. We'll get to that. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, your assignment was Moonrise Kingdom, which I have. I think I said is kind of the poster child for Wes Anderson style. So, how did it go? What was your take on Moonrise Kingdom? Yeah, it was fun. Um, I think the reason it came up last time we were chatting, we were talking about minimalism and that trend, and you kind of made a joke and said, well, you know, obviously those who like minimalism would not like Wes Anderson, so I see what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> I, I thought that cinematography was beautiful, costumes beautiful, set amazing, music was really awesome. That part of it I really, really enjoyed, and it made me go down a rabbit hole of learning about idiosyncratic directors, um, like Quentin Tarantino and I think Baz Luhrmann would absolutely be my, yes. my favorite type. Um, but yes. I had a great time. It, it was super fun. And, and now, now I feel like I know a little, I'm a little more cultured. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I had the Grand Budapest, which was, uh, I'll be honest, as you mentioned, Chris, I fell asleep through half of it. <laughs> Boo. Uh, I was not feeling the greatest <laughs> last night. And I powered through half of it, and I was like, "Okay, that's that's as good as I get." But I thought the, I thought it was an interesting movie. I mean, the I, I'll be honest, I've never seen any like. There was a lot of I feel like voiceovers and people talking to each other in different ways, and I had never seen that type of like a style. Uh, it felt I don't know. You kind of felt like you're inside the characters at some points too. So I thought that was a really interesting, I don't know, a way to approach different characters and agreed that the cinematography was was beautiful and I don't know overall mm, B plus would you watch another movie for <laughs> I'd, I'd watch the rest of it okay well that's good <laughs> the, the next half so, that's good yep. well I, I think the Grand Budapest is his best movie that's my personal opinion yeah but Stephanie I love like the the call out to Quentin Tarantino and Baz Luhrmann because both of those they're all three to me similar in a lot of ways, but one of them is most people either love them or hate them. Uh, and so like, uh, I love Baz. I, I love um, the, what was it? The Moulin Rouge, oh, Moulin Rouge. Yes. One of my favorite movies of all time, but there are people I know who can't stand it. Um, 
I, I just think it's amazing. So maybe we'll maybe we'll just do this every once in a while. We'll dig into Baz Luhrmann <laughs> or we're digging into Quentin Tarantino. We can have a whole podcast on that. Um, but let's move on. Let's move on to our main segment uh, where we're going to talk about the Effie Awards. Uh, those were released recently. We've each come with one to dig into. But Stephanie, why don't you set us up? What are the Effie Awards? Who sponsors them? Give us everybody the background if, if folks aren't familiar uh, with those. Okay. Uh, the Effies are, I would say, one of the top marketing awards. Um, and you may have heard of you know, it or other marketing awards. Uh, I think Can is obviously very well known for creativity, the Webbies for digital, Shorties for social, um, the Pencils, the uh, Clio's Addies, right? Like the list is very long. Um, the Effies, however, that their focus is on effectiveness. So that's kind of where, where it comes from, the, the word. And that's one reason I like them so much is awards get a really bad rap for being just all about a cool idea. It's kind of like, here we are in the marketing industry, navel gazing, talking about how awesome our ideas are. But the Effies are all about prioritizing results and um, judging is really based on the effectiveness of the campaign. So I actually got to be a judge this year, which was really fun, um, a judge for the finalists. And so, um, you know, I can say absolutely that effectiveness is absolutely prioritized. Um, and it's owned by the you know, FE Worldwide, started by New York American Marketing Association, but now owned by FE Worldwide, which also offers lots of cool insights and ongoing education and case studies for, for marketers. Awesome. Okay, so thank you for that. Uh, why don't you just keep going, Stephanie? Why don't you Why don't you dive into? Uh, we were going to each talk about our favorite award winner, and I dove in. Um, just picked one, and it is not my favorite. So I'm actually going to. I'll go last because mine is. I'm really skeptical and questioning of it. It'll be a great conversation. But you two, I think, have favorites. So Stephanie, why don't you start with your favorite, Effie? Okay, and I'm not surprised, by the way, that you are a voice of cynicism. That is <laughs> <laughs> your role. Um, okay, yes. Yeah, so, um, and I'll just say up front, I um, am not going to talk about the the healthcare awards because that's what I judge. So I'm not going to go into at all the ones that I got to see behind the scenes. Just no conflict of interest there. Um, but my favorite uh, was a was a gold winner, and it was the Chicago Public Library called Live from the Library. Um, actually by FC, FCB Chicago, which is an IPG agency, which is our parent company. Um, but I, I loved it because uh, it was really relevant, you know, last year. And what Chicago Public Library did was obviously they were closed last year. Nothing could really be done. Access to books was completely decreased. Um, and they recognized that there was a, a critical issue where people could not access books. And so that created a big issue um, in, in Chicago. And so they said, let's create a daily story time uh, around the world with on live, live on Facebook, uh, read by celebrities, librarians, um, Chicago people, anybody with a connection to Chicago. Um, so on weekdays at 10 a.m. Central Time, celebrities like Barack and Michelle Obama, Daily, uh, Do Dolly Parton, um, Oprah, Jane Lynch, Matthew Broderick, Chelsea Clinton, Gabrielle Union, the list goes on, hopped on Facebook Live and read a story time. Um, and it was just really lovely. Um, so I'll just kind of pause there and then we can get into the results and the business objectives that it fulfilled. That's so original. 
right? <laughs> Chase, are you just speechless? Well, I, I don't know. It depends on how you say original. Like, is the original a good thing or a bad thing? No, good thing. No, I agree, though. I think it's a really, I think it's really smart. The people they got to bring into that is really influential. And it's, I don't know. I feel like we all kind of gathered around the TV or the people that watch that. You know, it was a time they probably looked forward to each week. So I think it was a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, one one thing that I like about it is, and I don't know, Chris, if you're being serious about it being original, but I, I actually like the simplicity of the idea and the fact that story time has been around forever. It's not a new idea. Um, but what is new and interesting is the way that they used Facebook Live. So I've seen, I've been part of a lot of Facebook Live campaigns and programs. It can either be very successful or it can completely fail. And the reason why some Facebook Lives are more successful than others, I think goes to the simplicity of the idea and the use of the platform being very, very natural. So to me, we're, we've all had story time since we were born and it's something that libraries have done forever. Um, and so using Facebook Live for that feels very natural. And also the use of celebrities feels very natural. So it's not trying to create some, you know, forced use, um, but it, it was a very natural and, and simple idea. Um, and I think also one, one of the coolest parts about it, especially for, you know, the health brands out there is the, they did not pay for the celebrities. Uh, $0. Celebrities donated their time. They filmed themselves, so there's no production needs. So that's really helpful too. Um, and during the pandemic, folks were more likely to do that. But I think about health brands who have a reason for people to donate their time as well. But the question is, what is the idea that makes people want to do that? And story time, everybody can read a book, right? And you get great press. So that's part of what I like about the idea as well. So now, now I'm just afraid that you think everything I say is cynical and sarcastic. <laughs> I meant original. I mean, story time obviously is, like you said, it's been around forever. Yeah. But the way they brought it forward and the use of Facebook Live and all of that, I think um, it's just taking something that we're all familiar with and bringing it forward in, in a new and powerful way. Uh, and that is originality. Like there's very few things that are brand new. Um, to be honest, but so often breakthrough ideas are taking something that is familiar and, and bringing it out in a new way because it's that familiarity that has that where the power lies. Uh, but it's the freshness of the idea and the originality of it that makes it compelling. So, so I'm all on board with that one. I'm not cynical about that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so you said well, there was just... what are the results? How would they? How do they measure yeah. the result with viewership of the Facebook Live? I assume. Yes. So viewership and, and reach. Let me start with what I can at least glean of the business objectives by reading several of these cases and watching the case study videos. Um, I think a few objectives, and then I'll talk about how the results match that. So, so one was just from a mission standpoint, realizing that one in four children grow up without learning how to read and lack of access to books, as I mentioned earlier, is one of the main issues affecting literacy. So with COVID-19, that made this worse. So access to books was a critical objective. Um, two is na nationwide press and awareness was important um, as the Chicago Public Library goes up against, you know, think about New York Public Library, right? Um, and, and three, something to do to when the libraries were shut down during the pandemic. So results was um, about viewership, reach, and earned media. 2.2 million hours of stories were watched. So, so I think that achieves the access 
um, to books. Uh, 520 million people reached, which also gained some really great nationwide press and awareness. Um, And there was just a ton of press about this. And as I dug deeper, I always like to look and see, okay, that's what the case study says, but did it really achieve this? Um, And looking at the videos, most of the videos only had a few thousand views, but there were many videos. Um, But then there were several like the Obamas, which had nearly 400,000 views. So as I've, again, worked on lots of Facebook Live programs, it can be difficult to get views um, to be high on those. But because they had such a large library of those videos, library, there's my pun, um, that the reach was really, really, um, really quite nice. So I I think based on those business objectives, um, the results are pretty strong. Nice. All right, good. Chase. Yeah, so the one I found that I thought was the most interesting, which I've later found out, that Skidoo is now, is, you actually pronounce it Skidoo. Skidoo. <laughs> Skidoo, which I had no have idea. Have you ever heard of, have you ever heard of, um, is it 22 Skidoo? It's 22 Skidoo. I have like know that reference, but I don't know what it is. I, I believe, I have no idea what it means. But I believe it's a reference to 1922. Like there's something in that. that uh, I mean, it goes back it. to that era, I think. Anyway, sorry. No. Oh, so they Continue. they were trying to basically engage with a new generation of snowmobilers, which I know Skidoo with as like a, gosh, now all I want to say is Skidoo um, <laughs> company that is like more in the summertime. You know, you see them on the lakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see um, skiing people. Um, tubing, that kind of stuff. But this is more their like winter um, product. And they had this, this, I guess, reality TV show that went live, or not live, but it went on all their social media platforms. And it was called, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name. Skidoo and you? (laughs) (laughs) Me and you and a dog named Skidoo? The copywriting skills are great here. Oh, okay. So the campaign was the Skate Mountain. And the idea was, if if you think of those like escape games that you've always heard about that you go to and try and get clues and escape the room. This was that case. They took four of their brand ambassadors from Skidoo and put them on a mountain, Uh, put them in the helicopter, dropped them off in the middle of nowhere, gave them some GPS coordinates and like an ability to track where they were going and said, good luck. (laughs) <laughs> and it was in the middle of basically at like five or six o'clock at night. They had a full, you know, a brought a like production crew out there with them and a blizzard was coming for the next 48 hours. And so they had to find, go through all these clues uh, to escape the mountain. Uh, and obviously they were using Skidoo's products throughout, throughout the whole kind of adventure. They went uh, on the snowmobiles. I think they traveled like a couple hundred miles on it. Um, but what was really, I don't know, I just thought it was from a reach perspective, they reached over 5 uh, million people with the three videos. So they broke it up into three videos. Each one was 15 minutes long. And I just thought, you know what, what we all know that idea. We all might want to find ourselves in a situation like that to see if we can kind of get out of the, the mountain, if you per se. And I don't know, I thought from a from a creative standpoint, it was beautifully produced. Like, I'll be honest, I watched the first one, I was like, oh man, I gotta keep watching. So I watched the other two, uh, and I thought it was just fantastically produced and, and well creative. So that was fine. 
So, Stephanie, that so reminds me of what you and I and a few others at Revive dug into last year, because the idea of, of developing marketing in terms of experience, I think, is really untapped in the health space, particularly the health system space, but overall. And we had like a little group that just banded together and we explored alternative reality gaming. Remember that? Yeah, and that was we, fun. If you're not familiar with that, that is like it's a type of gaming where it's almost like it can be like a scavenger hunt or an adventure, not dissimilar from what Chase is describing. Um, but you find clues online. You go out in the real world and you try to find those clues. You use automated reality and all of this stuff. Um, and we just explored how could you use that to solve for a problem in healthcare, which I think we I think we decided was like let's how could you use that to help people through difficult mental health issues caused by the pandemic. And we have like amazing ideas that we still have in our pocket that I think somebody could go out and do. Um, I think it's a great example. It's such a good example of how you could build an experience around your brand. Yeah, and it ties back, we've been talking for a few weeks now, a few weeks back about uh, immersive experiences and that trend continuing to grow. And I don't, I don't think I've seen a study on this, but I would theorize that when you can get people in an immersive experience of some kind, that there's going to be a deeper connection with the brand, especially if you can get them interacting in some way. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a cool example of that continued trend, which we're just going to see more of. Yeah, absolutely. Were there results, Chase? Yeah. So yeah, all three of those videos like combined hit over 5 million people or they had watched over 5 million times. Uh, and they also brought in the people, they're brand ambassadors, but they're also a kind of a celebrity snowboarder and a celebrity skier to help engage with that. So I think that really helped increase the reach by using those people too. Quick name a celebrity skier. I got one. Bodie Miller. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, that's a good one. No, you guys don't have one. I've got a snowboarder, Sean White, which is oh sure go to, yeah. but not a skier. Stephanie, Stephanie, anything? I don't, I don't have one, but I do have a question for you, Chase. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know if this, if this mentioned it in the case study, but um, I always wonder when I hear about reach, about how much came from paid media. Um, and I'll just use an example. I, I, I think the Chicago Public Library, from what I could glean, there was not paid media behind those lives, which is probably, again, why. There was just a few thousand views for several of them. And I'm always like, oh, but it would go so much further if there was paid behind it. But was there anything mentioned about that from the standpoint of five, five million views? Not in the case study. I would imagine, though, that there was a paid uh, program behind it, but... It didn't mention if it was paid or if it was just organic on social. Super important. Yeah. And, and actually, it's a great segue into mine. But um, I have just for years just put a like a stake in the ground saying you cannot count impressions as results, paid impressions, because you're paying for them. To me, it's equivalent of saying our campaign was a success because we printed 100,000 brochures. But that's not a success. That's an output. Um, Paying for impressions is an output of the money you spend. Um, what did you get from that? Did you get increase in awareness, engagement? Did it drive unpaid impressions? Okay, now now we're pay potentially into something. Um, but even then, impressions are the lowest of the low when it comes to metrics. Um, and we are we are exploring, and we'll dive deeper into um, kind of the dark side of all digital and social. 
because of things like uh, fraud and fake impressions and all of that. So we'll get to that later. We don't need to get into it now. But what I want to do is take that as a segue into mine because I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive into results because Stephanie set this up really well about how this this awards um, whatever platform, what am I trying show, to say? Event. Show, event, um, is really predicated on results, which I think is super important. Um, but I think even then there's limitations or potentially limitations. So we'll see where you guys land with this because I'm not saying that what I'm, what I'm gonna put out there is right, but I think there's questions. Questions shall be raised. So mine was Burger King, uh, the moldy whopper campaign did you guys see this like when yes. it ran yeah. in early 2020 yes. i don't remember seeing it okay so if you haven't seen it basically what we're talking about is i think there's primarily one television spot could have been more that shows a whopper and it kind of shows it over 30 days and as the 30 days progress it gets freaking disgusting it gets moldy it gets hairy by the time it's done it's green it's hairy it's it's awful and then the tagline comes up and it says the beauty of no artificial preservative so the the purpose of the campaign as they've described it for the effies was that fast food obviously has a bad reputation for the quality of the food that's artificial all of those things and Burger King is really trying to shatter their perception, that's their words, um, and have wanted to rid their food of artificial sources. So in 2020, they launched a Whopper that, that had no preservatives in it. So this was their campaign to kind of show that this is a new product and the benefit of that. So it won like gold in corporate reputation, it won gold in marketing disruptor for services. So when I saw it, I was like, what? Like the, my gut reaction literally was, this does not make me want to buy a Whopper. In fact, it makes me think the opposite because the last thing you left me with is a disgusting looking Whopper. So I started digging into it, and digging into the results. So first of all, this is super petty, but Burger King is not a service company. So it should not have won in the marketing disruptor services division. It's a product company. So check, but move that aside. That's that. That's me being snarky. Second, what is the problem we're solving for here? Like the, the idea that fast food is poor quality food, I get, but the idea that fast food has preservatives, who, who thinks their fast food is supposed to last long? Like, I, I don't understand like, hey, this is great because now you're, you know, like you don't have to worry about this. Who worried about that? Like you buy it and you eat it. Um, I know that there is, I'll get to this. I know that there is, a lot of people that don't want artificial preservatives, but it just seems like almost like a made up issue, especially when you consider the people that care a lot about artificial preservatives versus the people that go to Burger King. And I would venture to guess that the people that care a lot about artificial preservatives are not going to Burger King. Uh, it's not, I don't, think a lot of people would switch over because of this. We're going to get to the results. So maybe they do. Um, but this is where I'm saying like, my my instincts here are like on high alert. Because um, I just don't know that people that first of all, I don't think the people that eat a Burger King care about this. And I'm not sure the people who care about this will eat a Burger King. Um, and then finally, 
I, I don't know why showing me a horrible picture of your product at the end, you're leaving me with a, a very visceral, horrible thing. And we're going to get to that in a second. So in the FEs, they cite these results. All right. So quality ingredient perception up 26%. So this must be like a fast food survey question. Um, visitation consideration, 22%. Eh, I like flush that down the toilet because you ask somebody whether they would consider to visit has nothing to do whether they would actually do it in a survey. The one that makes the most, they also have in this one, 2.9 billion impressions. I'm going to get to a, a much higher number in a second that came out later. The one that I think is most important is Whopper sales. At the end of the day, if, if this is true, it should increase Whopper sales, right? So they cite 14%. And if I were Stephanie or any other judge in the FEs, I would say, well, screw your gut instinct. That, that worked, right? Um, so my problem is I can't get past what I'm, what I'm joking. This is my pun, Stephanie. It doesn't pass the smell test to me, <laughs> right? So, so a lot of the success touted by Burger King and the agencies involved, and as I researched this, a lot of in the industry who kind of dove in this, because there's a lot of controversy around this campaign, was that it drove 8.4 billion organic media impressions. So that's one statistic. So way more than the one that was from the, from the award citation. Um, so again, it gets back to is impressions, like it's kind of like even bad PR is good PR. We've all heard that. Um, is creating awareness and impressions enough? Uh, is that really what drove the sales? Uh, I mean, taking this back to healthcare, if you're a health system, for example, we could videotape your chief marketing officer or chief medical officer or your CEO, like dancing naked in the back of a pickup truck, vomiting moldy Burger King Whoppers. We would, we get a lot of impressions from that. But is that going to help your brand, right? So there's a lot of evidence that my gut instinct isn't off. So Marketing Dive, it's a website that looks at a lot of this stuff, um, cited research from Ace Metrics, and we've got citations we'll put in the show notes. So when they studied this, they found that the campaign landed 36% below average advertising benchmarks. Over one-fourth of viewers were actively turned off like, you know, it's okay if you're turning off a fourth, if you're turning on a new fourth, but most of the time you don't want to actively turn off that many people. Um, and emotional reactions were like my own gross, inappropriate, ridiculous. So here's what I'm questioning. And I don't know how you get to the, to the crux of this and I'll be done with my rant. Sorry, this is a long one. Um, how does all of this and my gut reaction and some of the principles of marketing jibe with the results that reported? How have they tied that 14% increase in sales to this campaign? They launched a new product. Is that why the sales grew? It's a new. It's it's kind of like if you're opening a new urgent care, and and you're, you've got volumes in your urgent care. Is that because you open the new the urgent care on the corner, or is it because of the advertising? How do you how are they sussing out the difference? Uh, was there any other reason that they might have had a 14% increase in sales? What were other you know, fat, what, what was the Big Mac doing over the same period? Um, in what other ways did they measure this? So I just, I really struggle with this one, you guys. I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm willing to admit I'm wrong. 14% is 14%, but it's hard to really know 
given all of that. So reactions. <laughs> well, I have a dissenting opinion. Um, I can't speak to how did how did they attribute success to the campaign, but I do. I think we should come back to that because that's a really really important question. Um, and I guess my first reaction on that is, unfortunately, I think collectively the industry is not far enough along on where it needs to be on attribution. But we can come back to that. Um, you were talking about the business issue. So one interesting element here is Burger King has for a long time tried to displace McDonald's, right? And intentionally and directionally gone after McDonald's um, in many, many ways. And so McDonald's has had that challenge that people have done for a long time, not by the brand, but just by individuals where you leave your cheeseburger out for, you know, 10 years and come back and it's exactly the same. My aunt <laughs> right. actually did that and it, and it works. Um, yeah. You just leave it in the closet and it never molds. So I, I think this is just one of the many ways and examples of Burger King trying to go up head to head against McDonald's, which does have a perception issue around artificial ingredients. And the whole industry has been trying to face this, right? Like Subway coming out with their new menu recently. So to me, that is part of the the business issue that they were that they were trying to face. And I, I think it, it is, the idea alone, an interesting way of going up against it. The second thing I would say as a different opinion is often in marketing we've seen where if, if you can be intentionally controversial and have some people love it and some people hate it, it breaks through a lot better mm -hmm. than if it's just something that everybody loves. Um, I think there's a bravery study done around, around this that showed that that is true. So my take is at least this got people talking, at least this got some people hating it and some people loving it. And that is more brave than many brands are, are willing to do. I mean, can we just talk about the fact that a burger can last for 10 years and not mold? <laughs> I mean, that, like the, that alone is just ridiculous. But I, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think you're right, Stephanie. This was a complete jab at that storyline that usually pops up every couple of years with McDonald's and someone comes out and says, oh, this is my 30-year-old burger. And it's like, that looks like you bought it yesterday. <laughs> um, but I also, and then to your point, Chris, as far as like, who is this reaching? Is it reaching people that go to Burger King or not? And to me, it, I, I'm, I'm not an active uh, drive-through of, of McDonald's or Burger King, but I saw this and I was like, you know what? I might actually try it, even though it left me with a horrible vision afterwards. Um, I Have you tried it? it? Gave, no, I have been not. Been two years, Chase. It's been two years since the ad run. Have you tried it? I have not, okay. but I thought about trying it, and that at least put Burger King in my head for the first time in a couple of years. <laughs> Which is the perception issue, right? That's that's the issue yes. with the question of are you likely to try it versus will you try And And so, again, back to the issue with results, and that's industry-wide issue, and that's yeah. not an issue with Burger King or an issue with the Effies. That's industry-wide. We are measuring things the wrong way. Yes, that's right. And, and and again, sales is the ultimate. So the fact that they're quoting sales, I think, is it's to their credit. I just want to know more about how they're actually using those sales. Because remember, those sales are reported by the company, the agency that put this out. And if you're putting that kind of campaign out, you are. it's going to be really hard for you to say, yeah, that didn't work. Because that's like a career-limiting move. You went out there and showed your product in the shittiest form it can be. That better work. So it it it's. I feel like I have the right to be skeptical of self-reported results in that way. It doesn't mean that they're lying. It's just 
show me more. Like the the easiest way to prove this is Burger King can do this, where a lot of health brands can't do this. We ran this campaign in Milwaukee, Des Moines, and Omaha, which are similar to Little Rock, St. Louis, and Nashville, where we didn't run the campaign. And in the markets where we ran the campaign, we saw a net increase in Whoppers that we did not see in these other markets, which helps you eliminate 95% of the variables that might have contributed to the, that increase, right? It is an A-B testing. It's how you scientifically prove something works. That's how you demonstrate something works. You can't say our sales went up 14%. Well, maybe it was just you ran the campaign when there was particularly good weather. Like that sounds silly, but that could impact hamburger sales. Um, so I just want more there because it is so far out there. Um, and I think like, I still like question, I understand what they're trying to do. I understand fast food has got a bad reputation. They're trying to distinguish themselves from McDonald's, but you're Burger King. And as long as you're Burger King, you're gonna, especially me, like I've been around for longer than you all. <laughs> I've eaten Burger King <laughs> since for 50 years. Let's just assume that's true. You're Burger King, man. I'm never going to see you as a healthy option. Never, nor would I want to. It's not why I value you. So they're trying to be somebody they're not. And I think they may gain some people like Chase, who after two years still haven't used it, but maybe would. And But they may also lose people like me, who is like, it's not why I go there. Um, but anyway, enough of that. I've ranted far too long. See, let's see if we can, we can actually even... Um, we'll give some homework to our audience. Ooh. When you hear this, if you have any insights into the deeper dive into that sales, because I couldn't find it, but that's not surprising. Um, but maybe somebody sees a report out there or something where they can dig into an analyst report or something that shows how how that 14%, what, what's it attributed to? I can find anything where that, that was like, was that for three months, six months? What's it compared to? Like nothing. So if you can find that and send it to us, we'll give you a prize. Ooh. I know. I don't know what the prize <laughs> to is. To be determined. <laughs> to be determined. All right. Anything else, you guys, on the Effies? No. No. That's a no. Okay. That's a no. <laughs> well, we always like looking at um, – these kind of things because they do show ultimately the kind of work that we think should be out there. Uh, and I, and I look, I'm, I'm being pretty cynical, but that is bold. So kudos to them for being bold, but also, you know, we talked about this. We intentionally pick three brands that have nothing to do with health unless you count moldy hamburgers as health, which we don't, uh, because we so want to think about non-health brands and what they're doing to bring that into health brands. It's huge. Yeah. I will add if there's anyone who, you know, wants to go dig into other interesting cases, an, uh, an interesting one to take a look at is also Reddit, who did an up the vote program. And they did measure based on number of, of um, voter registrations. And there, you know, there's, there's many brands who have, of course, contributed to that. But what I think is interesting about it is the way that they went about it um, was very much knowing their audience and knowing the snarkiness and, you know, and, and the, the audience of Reddit. Um, and it, for me, ties back to a lot of the issues campaigns that the health industry has to do, 
where how do you go out and increase awareness of an issue or increase participation in the issue? Think about vaccinations, which we're actually going to talk about next, um, while also driving preference for your brand. And they did it in a really interesting way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yes. Let's get to our final segment. We're going to have to hit this fast because we know we're running long. We've been long winded. That's my fault. Went way too far off on Burger King multi burgers. We got a great question in and we're never sure when people submit questions where they want to be identified. So we're just going to say this is a chief medical officer from a, a pretty significant organization, a well respected organization. Uh, and we'll read the question. It was, I've been mostly in, we're just going to say the city so we can't identify this person a major city since the beginning of COVID and have observed a twist in the very competitive marketing among the four major health systems. Public supermarket supermarkets has entered the billboard messaging advertising vaccinations rather than traditional food items. Meanwhile, the four major health systems have billboards advertising vaccinations signed by all four, so a collective advertising effort, rather than the typical confusing boasting about how good each one is individually. So the question, would all four health systems benefit from a combined effort focused on prevention? Would their brand image improve if they collectively address health and well-being rather than, quote, I'm better than you, traditional marketing, unquote? Stephanie, you want to take a stab at it quick? First? Sure. Absolutely. Um, so my answer is yes. There are many cases where each individual health system would benefit by joining a collective. Um, and I think about examples in other industries, and I'll use the airline industry. Um, there was an example several years back, which I think is very much um, public knowledge, at least at the industry at this point, which was there was an issue with subsidies happening in the Middle East. And so in order to fight that and combat that, um, the all the major airlines joined a collective and spread awareness about it, you know, lobbied, um, created a kind of political groundswell and changed it. And they would not have been able to do that on their own, right? And it was something that was affecting all of their businesses in exactly the same way. And it was also something that by joining a collective, they were not um, uh, reducing any competitive conquesting, right? There was, there was no opportunity for people to choose one airline over the other. So as I think about vaccinations, I think it's a similar issue where it is something that affects all health systems the same way. Um, and by someone choosing to be vaccinated at your health system, you're not going to lose much, right? You're not losing much margin. You're not losing much um, maybe brand lift. Uh, and so there's, there's, there's a lot to gain and there's very little to lose. Now, I think it would be very different if it was another kind of issue and, and we can get into a little bit of those example issues where maybe you wouldn't want to join a collective, where maybe you would want to go at it yourself and really take the brand lift for yourself. Yeah, I think all that's right. And my my answer is a partial yes. Uh, and it's yes in the way that Stephanie's talking about it. So if the question is, would they all, you know, it's, does it make sense, is it smart for them to combine their efforts to promote vaccinations? A hundred percent. And we saw this at the beginning of the pandemic where we saw a lot of systems and markets come together and promote kind of COVID prevention, hand washing, six, you know, six feet separation, that kind of stuff. Uh, we saw it with mask wearing, also great. And we're seeing it with vaccines, also great. But if the question is, would all four health systems benefit from combined effort focus on prevention overall? Um, I'm, a, I'm more of a no there because this is where it starts getting into, I think, what Stephanie's alluding to, which is 
you know, we have been advocating for health systems, by the way, to build their brands around health and wellness for years. Uh, we'd far rather them do that than um, the I'm better than you promotional, care-focused, traditional brand building. So yeah, that's great. Uh, but if you're doing that, if you do it collectively, you've just lost all the power of building your brand. And that's that's the trouble, right? Uh, if you're trying to build your brand, the point of building your brand is to distinguish yourself from your competitors. And you can't do that if you go all in with your competitors. Uh, and so that's where it gets trickier. And I think you know what we talked about when we were prepping for this was all those examples I gave where it starts to break down is what we're seeing a little bit of the collective health system marketing right now, which is around delay in care, right, Stephanie, where, okay, now we're starting to get into an area that actually is, you should care about being competitive, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the delaying care instance is a really interesting one. I, I don't think I've seen any competitors go in together on that, but I could see where it would it could be a conversation because we have you know many health systems that we work with that have formed partnerships, uh, re geographic or regional partnerships. Uh, and there's always a question on where do we partner and where do we go it alone? Where are we conquesting from them? It gets really, really, really tricky. Um, and so, you know, I could imagine maybe even putting together kind of a matrix of this, not then, or, or you know, <laughs> this, not that, um, for these kinds of issues. Yeah, I, th I think the, the moment you start getting people to come back for care, right, it's the vac vaccines you get, I don't know. 37 cents to uh, as a hospital or whatever but when you the moment you start talking about actual care that can lead to follow-ups and other you know surgical procedures that's that's a moment of of where you would want that those procedures to happen within your hospital versus a competitors uh, and so I think in that transition to talking about care that's where I think you have to face the reality of competition and and need to go alone almost. Yeah, and there, there's one effort that I'm aware of, um, and it's it's by the major systems in Los Angeles who have come together to, to kind of pool the resources for a singular um, delayed care, get back in, see your doctor campaign. Um, and it's it's I think it stems from, it's from the similar group that went nationwide with the mask wearing and the vaccine efforts. Um, and so it's just, you know, part of this is a little difficult because I think all of us would agree that, hey, it's awesome if health systems could get together and talk about prevention and delay of care and all of these things if they didn't have to worry about competing with each other. But that's the system we have in this country. You know, like we can argue that's a whole different podcast <laughs> of whether we should have that system, um, whether there's a better system, a different system, but it is the system we have. And, and hospitals and health systems have to bring in patients uh, in order to meet the financial goals that they have, in order to, to you know, not just only thrive, but survive. Uh, and so it is just part of the market-driven system we have, uh, but it kind of shows you, it opens the curtain to maybe how it could be if we didn't have that, uh, and that these groups could pool their money, be far more effective Right, it's far more effective for one effort in Los Angeles, you know, to push people to to delay, you know, not delay care, than four separate ones. 
I think that's a fair argument. But it's not serving those individual organizations in the way it needs to at that point. So tough, tough one. Uh, but it's it's a good one for people to think about. Yes. And it makes me think about the power of collaboration. That was something that, I mean, it was two years ago, we went to the health health conference prior to the pandemic, and there was a lot of awesome discussion about collaboration and where the industry can benefit from co- collaboration. And there is so much that can be benefited from um, in, in many, many ways. And the question is where, where and how do you collaborate? It's a big one. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, let's wrap there. I know we've gone long and I apologize. I take all, all credit for that. I'll take credit for us going long, but it was good conversation. All good stuff. Uh, Stephanie and Chase, as always, thank you. Of course. Enjoyed it. We could talk all day. (laughs) We could talk all day. That's a problem, but it's a good thing too. We're going to have a different crew next week. So we'll just save that. You'll have to hear what we're going to talk about then, but it's going to be good stuff. Uh, So look forward to that. If there's something you want us to cover, let us know. Uh, Shoot us an email at nonormal at reviveagency.com. Make sure you share the show with friends, colleagues, neighbors, passersby, whoever you run into. Give us a review and rating on iTunes. That's always awesome. And as always, until next time, do not be satisfied with a normal burger commercial. Have the moldy burger. Push the normal. (laughs) Go to the no normal, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week. Three, two, one.